This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions. Today's big question, is faith obsolete? We're asking today's big question to Jacob Thomas. Jacob has a Bachelor of Science and a Master of Teaching degrees from Melbourne University, and he works as a teacher. Jacob is an emerging author and has just published his first book, The Theology Basement. And he joins me now. Jacob, welcome to Bigger Questions. Thanks so much. Great that you can join us today, Jacob. Well, to kick off at Bigger Questions, we like to ask some smaller questions just to get us thinking. Today, we're asking Mm. Jacob Thomas if faith is obsolete. So, Jacob, for a smaller question today, I'm going to ask you how much you know about things which are obsolete. Okay, there's just one question and it's multiple choice. Sounds great. Okay, the question is, for which previously common household item did manufacturing production cease in July 2016 and would thereafter be seen as an obsolete item? Was it A, the fax machine, B, the VCR, the video cassette recorder, C, the overhead projector, or D, the Walkman? So which of those became obsolete after July 2016? Okay, well, let me think. I think it would be the Walkman. Oh, it was actually B, unfortunately, the video cassette recorder in July 2016. Funai Electric was the last manufacturer of VCRs and they stopped making them because it became too expensive as parts became more difficult to secure. I look good on them for sticking it out so long. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's right. Yeah, good on him indeed. There were many people, that, they, were, they sold many millions at their peak, but unfortunately they had to stop them. Hmm. Unfortunately, Jacob, your knowledge is a little obsolete. Well, you didn't yeah, get any of our smaller <laughs> questions, right? <laughs> but if we had a live audience here today, we'd still give you a big round of applause. Oh, thank you for that hypothetical. So Jacob, in the last couple of centuries, many have predicted the end of religion or faith in God, that faith in God would become obsolete, just like the, the VCR. Indeed, the famed mathematician Bertrand Russell once said, religion is something left over from the infancy of our intelligence. It will fade away as we adopt reason and science as our guidelines. So what do you make about the predictions about the end of faith and that religion would become obsolete? Well, it's interesting. It's especially interesting when pitted up against science. Mm -hmm. They could be viewed as two ways of viewing the world or of obtaining knowledge. Mm -hmm. And I don't really think it makes sense to think of science as obsoleting faith. Yeah. Just because I think it's a very small view of God and a very small view of faith that allows it to be obsoleted like that. Hmm. So you don't think that these predictions are well-founded then, that the end of faith and that the religion will become obsolete? No, not at all. Because if you just think about origins, for example, Mm-hmm or more broadly, our context in the universe or our context existentially, Mm -hmm. we don't know what our context is. Right. You know, we can think about the Big Bang and kind of go backwards in time until we get to the point of the origin of the universe. And, and, you know, to some extent, we, we know some things about that and other things we don't, but then we can't really get beyond that at the moment. And then... Just imagine that we do get beyond that. Are we going to find the end? Are we going to hit the bottom? We don't know what material things are. Mm -hmm. We don't know the significance of existence from science. Mm -hmm. 
So I don't, I don't really see uh, science as uncovering our context, you know, how we came to be. So right. I don't really think it's the sort of thing that can make faith obsolete. Right. So there's mm. sort of asking different questions perhaps in some sense. Yes, to some extent. Yeah, I, I'm always hesitant to say, you know, they have different roles or they're asking different questions because um, you've got Stephen Jay Gould with his ideas of non-overlapping magisteria. So the mm-hmm. two kind of completely independent spheres of inquiry, which uh, I don't really subscribe to that either because they're both, they do both have truth claims, right? Mm. And it's possible that they might overlap. So in my book, I'm trying to set out some case studies to really think about, okay, where where are those points of overlap? Let's just take them mm. case by case and, and think about them carefully because science makes claims about things that are true or, you know, the, the, the best theories we've got. And faith also makes claims about things that are true. But I just don't think science has the capacity to reach that f- as far as faith mm, into mm. into you know the ultimate the bigger questions the bigger <laughs> questions exactly yeah so then mm. we'll get to talking about your book in just a second but why do you think the belief in God has remained and defied these predictions and it hasn't gone the way of the VCR the Walkman or the fax machine well I mean as soon as you ask that I'm I'm now immediately thinking about you know the West and belief in God has remained in the West although it's getting uh, less. Mm-hmm. I think it just has existential power. Mm. Um, what do you mean by that? Us, existential power? Like it has it explained something of our experience or something? It provides us that context. You know, mm. wh- what's our purpose? Uh, why are we here? Where are we going? It's also, we need a relationship with God. I think we need it. Mm. Uh, okay. And And of course, that's totally different to what science offers or what another worldview might offer that's not faith-based or religious, yeah. Mm. Now, Jacob, you then you have written a book, The Theology Basement. Mm. So what prompted you to write this book? I thought back to a conversation that I had with a Christian friend and a, mm-hmm. a conversation that I had with a non-Christian friend. And... The Christian friend a long time ago, this was a really long time ago, and she said that she would give up her faith if she found out that evolution was true. Right. And it pains me that people have that dichotomy in their minds and they, you know, they see that alternative and it's, that's, you know, it's pretty grim. And then the other conversation was with uh, a non-Christian friend, which was more pointed towards the God delusion specifically. They read mm-hmm. The God Delusion, um, found it convincing, and that was that. So I read The God Delusion, and I thought, okay, this needs to be addressed. So I read a couple of Christian responses, and they mostly focused on the idea of expertise. So uh, I'm a Christian, I'm a scientist, therefore, you know, it's possible, right? They can be a Christian scientist. And yeah. didn't really deal with the, the books that I read, didn't really deal with the ideas of Dawkins. So I wanted to deal with the ideas as fairly as possible and to work out what was happening and get to the kind of get to the heart of it. Mm. Well, it's because it's now been 15 years since the publication of Richard Dawkins' God Delusion. Yes. So what did you make of it when you read it? I wasn't very convinced. There were <laughs> right. some things that were 
intriguing, I think. Mm-hmm. And the center of it was interesting, which was talking about multiverses and origins and things like that. And that uh, was an area that I hadn't explored very much, so I enjoyed that. The morality part, I never found really convincing. Mm-hmm. Although I didn't find it initially convincing, it was still quite a process kind of trying to find the best answers to the questions that were developing in my head mm-hmm. um, as a response. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. It's very well written, though. It's very, it's very enjoyable to read. You found it enjoyable to read? A yeah, lot of Christians yeah. or a lot of people have found it very frustrating and difficult to read. Oh, it's enjoyable and frustrating. Everything, all of the above. <laughs> so what do you think makes it so popular then? It's sold over 3 million copies. Why do you think it's so powerful or so enduring? It's it's riding the wave, really. I get mm-hmm. the impression that he's already decided that faith is obsolete before writing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that a lot of people have decided that. The reason I think that he has decided that is because he doesn't research theology. Mm-hmm. So when he comes into it, he's not tremendously well informed about theology and he he actually goes so far as to say that theology isn't a subject, you can't study mm-hmm. it. Yes. So that was interesting to me. That's hence the title of the book. But I mean, it's been going for 300 years, I'd say, just the slow decline of faith in the West. And mm. I think people have a pretty settled idea. A lot of people have a pretty settled idea of, of the position of faith and the position of science and the antiquated nature of faith and superstition being all lumped into the same category. So when he's writing it, he knows that what he's saying is is going to be well received. Mm, yeah. Dawkins' book was written 15 years ago, though. What do you think's changed in the last 15 years? It's hard to make kind of... Uh, summaries of what people think these days, you know, because there's so many different groups and it's all going backwards and forwards. I think there's still a kind of scientistic, if you want to use that word, you know, science is everything crowd. Mm. But I like the fact that the God delusion looks at the question of the existence of God. I really like Mm. that because especially now I like that because that's sometimes overlooked. Hmm. But I think it's existential in it. You, it's, you know, it's a big, it's a big question, I suppose, isn't it? And so I suppose <laughs> yeah. he puts the uh, the question on the agenda for people to actually consider and saying, "Well, mm. here is a big question to ponder." These are my thoughts. What do you think? Um, mm, and I appreciate that. Mm. Yeah, and you have written your response in some sense. You've written your own book, "The Theology Basement." So why the title, "The Theology Basement"? I think the position of Christianity is looked upon as like a a basement in which you, you know, you climb down the stairs. It's kind of dimly lit. Um, it's a bit dingy. There's some conspiratorial posters and magazines and books. You've got, you know, a couple of people hashing out some theories over drinks or whatever. I think faith is seen as a little bit conspiratorial or a little bit right. kind of on the fringe and theology as well. Because, you know, Dawkins says that we can't study God because it doesn't make sense. It's just it's just an idea, right? How can you study yeah. it? Uh, the book is kind of my an invitation into the basement mm. um, for people who might look at Christianity and think, ah, it's a bit weird. I don't really want to go in there. Yes, that's basically where the title okay. came from. But theology is really important throughout the book. Theology 
is incredibly important because in a lot of what Dawkins is saying, and again, he's a reflection of the current trends or a lot of current trends. He's talking about a God who's very small, who isn't really reflected in the pages of the Bible. So theology is just really important, especially in the morality section. Yeah. So maybe give us a bit of a tour of the basement. Do you still think it is conspiratorial sort of secret knowledge, secret place that we should go into? Is that Do you think that was what the Christian faith just defines the Christian faith? No. I think that you're, if you're in the basement, you can see that it's not really a basement at all. It's like, it's like one of those heterotopias, like uh, basically a world within a, a, a very small place. So you go downstairs mm. and then you open the door. It's like, a, I guess, the Chronicles of Narnia. It, it kind of opens up into something a lot bigger and a lot broader for me. So, yes, it definitely looks like a basement from the outside. but There's more on the inside. Yeah, I don't think secret knowledge, I mean, hopefully with, you know, especially with Protestantism where the Bible is not Latin anymore, it's uh, hopefully everything's as accessible as possible. Mm. And that's partly what I wanted to do in the book as well, make it accessible and interesting. So hopefully it is. Um, I guess that'll mm. be down to the reader though to see, <laughs> to judge that. In your book, Jacob, you do talk about needing a calmer dialogue between science and theology where often that this you know it's often been claimed that science renders faith in god obsolete we need a calmer dialogue between science and theology why mm. do you think that's necessary why do we need a calmer dialogue i think it's very polarized and combative you've got basically a, a mainstream science pro science camp and a mainstream pro uh, religion camp and I think both sides are quite circular. They're not really talking to each other at all. And, and, I mean, you've got the internet propagating. The internet's great, of course, but <laughs> there's some problems in, you know, these polarizing debates and it's, I guess it's not unique to this debate, but we really need to think about what is the conflict? What is each party saying? And try and talk this through a little bit more reasonably and and maybe charitably as well. I guess if I could draw anybody into a nicer, more constructive dialogue on these things, that would be great. Yeah. Well, today's big question is, is faith obsolete? And the Bible itself speaks to this big question with a passage in the Old Testament where it connects with some of the themes of your book, um, Jacob. In the story of the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, humans who are united and speak the same language make the claim in Genesis 11:4, "Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves." So Jacob, how does this relate to what you're trying to say in your book? In the Tower of Babel, people are using technology mm. to reach for the heavens, to reach as high as they can. And to reach God, it so happens later on that God looks down from heaven and he's mm. so far above them and they didn't have a chance of reaching where God is. So they're using this, this technology. It's not bad. It, it's not necessarily intrinsically good. They're using this technology wrongly. They're overreaching they're taking something that 
is is actually it, it it is it is quite good, but they're misusing it, and I think that's what's happening with this idea that science can cause the obsolescence of faith. You know, hmm. uh, that science can reach that far and ultimately defeat faith, as if they're kind of pitted against each other. So it's this conquest forward into the into the unknown and reaching up to God, but ultimately not recognizing that God is much larger than they think. Yeah. It does continue in the next verse where it says, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. So what else do you think this tells us about God? You've mentioned that he's obviously well above the people. What does this teach us about God and who he is? There's two things here, I think. He comes down because he, you could say he can't see properly from because he's so far above the tiny little <laughs> tower. Uh, yeah. But on the other hand, there's the other implication in which he condescends. He is concerned for human beings and, and for us. And even though what we're doing is ridiculous, he still has, you know, reached out in love to us. And it might seem a bit strange to say in love when you look at this story and he actually confuses all their languages so they can't yes. reach so far. But if we are actually blinding ourselves with science or with uh, technology or whatever we choose to elevate to the highest level, then the idea of pushing back against that is, uh, I think that's sometimes necessary to stop and think, what are our limitations? Can we really know that? Or is is science the right tool for this? So as you have mentioned that God does confuse and scatter the people, isn't that just being a bit petty though on God's behalf? Yeah, I don't think so. You look at uh, the peak of German intellectual achievement and what happened, that's stunning, isn't it? Yeah, in, in the Second World War or in, the or second, in that period. In the, in, the, in the Second World War, where it led, or uh, Soviet Russia as well. It's just human achievement and human knowledge can outpace our maturity and our ability to deal with it. Mm. And, you know, many great civilizations have also been tyrannical as well. So I think that, no, no I, don't, I don't think it was petty of God. I think it, there's a lot at stake here. Right, yeah. It was almost an act of grace in some sense, you're saying, that it actually saved for potentially from greater damage in the future. Yes, I think so. Yeah. Mm, and yeah. if you if they're building up to God and God can't be reached that way, then they won't reach him. And that's mm. that's obviously I think that's the greatest tragedy really, isn't it? Mm, mm, yeah, yeah. So Jacob, then what persuaded you that faith in God wasn't obsolete and was worth believing in? Well, it was it's been a long process. Uh, so from an early age, I thought if God exists, he's worth believing in, mm-hmm. uh, because he created me and he created us and everything and everything we are and do is kind of owed to him. So yeah. from then it was a bit of a process in terms of thinking about whether he existed at all. And mm-hmm. that's part of, you know, this book is almost an extension of things that I've thought about regularly from the age of 16 onwards. Right, yeah. 
So did you grow up believing in God or going to church or anything? Yeah, or? I did. Yeah, I grew up in a Christian family, which is really, I'm really incredibly grateful for because it meant that I had a thorough exposure to the Bible and to what it says. And that yeah. was, that's been incredibly important for me because it's helped me uh, to avoid a lot of confusion and av- avoid rejecting Christianity really early because of a misunderstanding of what it says. But also I think a big thing that I keep coming back to in terms of understanding what the Bible is saying is the idea of sin, the idea that I had a problem, the idea that the world has a problem, that has just been that that understanding has just slowly been growing in me over the years and for me that really contextualizes the bible because it says that you know the heart is deceitful above all else which is a very strong claim and it is incredibly dramatic the entire story arc of the bible focuses on fall and sin mm-hmm. and uh eventually our salvation from sin but Jesus had to die on the cross for that to happen. And that's quite full on. And so for me to understand the reality of sin or what I think is the reality of sin was really important. Mm. So that was, so grasping that was really one of the key things that convinced you that the Christian message was actually true and worth following. Yeah. It just seemed quite true to life in that regard. Hmm. Just quite. It sounds quite bleak, but uh, not in the context of the grace of God. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Now, Jacob, you write in your book, a fundamental danger to the success, life, and well-being of modern people is that they have stopped believing that God exists. When there is no created purpose, when they cannot rationally latch on to something unchanging outside of themselves, when there is no fixed point of reference and nobody for them to pray to, then nihilism creeps in. Why is this a problem? I think it's just a picture in which we're all awash in relative values. And this would be okay if I was a good person, then I think nihilism would be okay. Or or let's just say a lack of a reference point, which is more of the picture of what I was describing there. But the problem is I'm not a good person. And so if I have no values, if I have nothing to latch on to, then I'm left to kind of contend with myself and I'm left to have arguments with myself and decide for myself what's good. And the various personas, I I don't have split personality disorder. I just think that we're... (laughs) we have in different situations, we have different motivations and they're all kind of talking to each other. Mm. And those arguments will just never lead anywhere without a reference point um, and without a standard to kind of attach to. We need some sort of reference point to help us to navigate life. Yeah, navigate life and not kind of drown in our own problems, I guess. Hmm. So how do you think faith in God helps in the modern world? We might think in the modern world that we're protected against uh, 
ourselves and against death and against a lot of our fears. But I think we've really insulated ourselves from all of that. You know, we've built very clean cities to live in. We have entertainment at our fingertips all the time. But the deeper questions of who we are and how we relate to others and how we relate to our origins or how we relate to God are still unanswered. Mm. We're just distracting ourselves from those questions from that reality and the modern world is not going to help us to navigate these questions. It's really just going to distract us and it's really just going to give us a thousand other things to do. Mm. So what do you think we'd lose if faith did become obsolete? I, I, I don't really see it as, as possible that faith becomes obsolete. It's, it's an incoherent concept, really. Mm-hmm. I think because if God exists and we're here and we need to relate to God, then faith is faith isn't just kind of an option. It's not really it's not just a a product that we can buy or a, a way of thinking that we can discard when the next philosophical theory comes up. Mm. It's it's everything. If we don't have faith, we don't have our our purpose. So what what do I think if if people if everybody thought that faith was obsolete, um, that would be a sad time, but I don't think faith can become obsolete. Hmm. Hmm. Why, why would it be sad? Well, as a Christian, I think we need a relationship with God, and if we don't, we incur his judgment, and rightly, because I do think sin is a reality. So hmm. uh, sad is, is a, a horrendous understatement. Yes. <laughs> so, Jacob, is faith obsolete? No, I don't think there's any reason to believe that faith is obsolete. And on the contrary, faith is something that is just so vital for us. We need it. We need it now. We needed it thousands of years ago. And we will need it into the future because it's it's our connection with our origins. It's our relationship with God, which it's not another product that can be discontinued or made obsolete. It's everything. Mm. Well, let me leave you with some of the Bible's reflections on the big question, is faith obsolete from Genesis 11.4? The people were saying, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Look forward to you joining us next time for Bigger Questions. Thanks very much to our guest today, Jacob Thomas. Thanks so much for having me.